And we learn from the book of Hebrews that death is a certainty. If you didn't already know it, death is a certainty, amen? But not only is it a certainty, judgment is a reality. But thank God, salvation is a possibility. Now, when I began this series, I had no idea what kind of immediate impact it would have. For the very day that I finished preparing uh, the first message, uh, I also then began preparing a funeral service for Miss Dot McConnell. Uh, it rang true in my heart. Not only that, but I also found out that some children from time to time listen to my sermons. Um, had a, a, an interesting week. I found uh, that little 10-year-old Carson Kirby, who was here for homecoming, uh, who had recently lost her father, uh, came up with more questions than my sermon answered about her father and about death in general. Uh, Carson had questions like, Brother Bill, what's a soul? Is that a good question or what? Uh, Brother Bill, what does it mean when people say to me, your daddy is behind you, he'll hold you up? Now, I'm not going to tell you what I said in reply to those questions, but I believe that this series of messages uh, is going to sufficiently answer the questions that Carson had. Um, but if we're honest, the subject of eternity... Uh, often throws questions into all of our minds. We all have questions about the unknown. But, friends, I want to tell you that uh, the Bible answers those questions if you'll only believe and trust the Word of God. Now, before I began the study, I thought that I had a real tight grasp on what I thought I believed about eternity. But I found that the 18 inches from my head to my heart was an incredible distance. But in preparing for this series and, and for this message also, um, I found that I really do believe. I really do believe what the Word of God says. And I believe it more than ever now that I've sunk my heart and my life into the Word of God and believe what He had to say. So, this morning I want to preach to you on the subject of one minute after you die. Now, we don't have the PowerPoint, so I want to encourage you to follow along with the outline in your bulletin as we look at what happens one minute after you die. There was a book written by that same title by Pastor Edwin Letzer, One Minute After You Die, and he wrote, One minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from the Lord Jesus Christ or you will be catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded with friends that they've known while on earth, and every description they've ever heard about heaven will pale in the light of reality. All of this forever and ever. Amen. Others, indeed many others, will be shrouded in darkness, deprived of anything good, 
overwhelmed by unending regret and with all of their memories and all of their feeling intact, images of their life on earth will return to them and haunt them forever and ever. They're going to think back to their friends. They're going to think back to their families and their relatives, and they will brood over opportunities that they squandered because they know that their future is hopeless. They know that their future is unending. For them, death will be far worse than they ever imagined. And so, friend, I guess what I'm trying to say is this. While relatives and friends are planning your funeral, while they're choosing a casket for you, while they're preparing your burial plot, while they're choosing who your pallbearers will be, you will be more alive than you ever have been. You will either see God on his throne and all around him 360 degrees. He will be surrounded by angels and by all of redeemed humanity. Or you will feel an indescribable weight of guilt and the darkness of abandonment as you've never, ever known it. And you need to know, there's no destination in between the two. It's one or the other. There's no destination in between heaven and hell. It's either gladness or gloom. One or the other. So this morning, let's look at the question. What is the first thing that's going to happen to me after I die. Again, the Bible is the only trustworthy source for life after death. Furthermore, the Lord Jesus is the only one who's truly qualified, the only one who's got any authority to give us any information about death and the afterlife. So today, we're going to take a story that appears in the Bible and we're going to take two weeks to go through it because in it, Jesus gives us a glimpse. He gives us a glimpse about life after death. And beginning in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, we find the story here of a very rich man and another man named Lazarus. Now, you'll only find this story in the book of Luke, the only place in the Bible that it appears. But I have come to believe this. This is not a parable. I've come to believe this is not just a story Jesus was telling. I've come to believe in my study that this is a very real report of the fate of two very real men. Three things you'll discover one minute after you die. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. You know what that means? He ate good. Amen. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, 
full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, that's one thing that every one of us have in common is that our lives on earth are temporary. Help us to understand, Lord, what happens immediately when our lives on earth are finished so that we can better prepare to die than we do to live. In Jesus' name, and all the people of God said, Amen. Three things you'll discover one minute after you die, the first of which is this. All earthly prosperity or earthly suffering is over. It's ended. It's ended. The rich man here is clothed in purple and fine linen, the beggar in rags. The rich man lived in a stately mansion. The beggar was laid by sympathetic friends at the gate of his mansion. The rich man had a healthy, well-nourished body. The beggar full of sores. The rich man fared sumptuously. What does that mean? He ate good. He ate a homecoming meal every day. He fared sumptuously every day. The beggar lived on crumbs from his table. The rich man had physicians to care for him when he got sick, while dogs licked the sores of Lazarus. Do you see the huge contrast between the life of the rich man and the life of Lazarus? These two men have Nothing in common during their lives. The rich man is extremely wealthy. His wardrobe consists of only the finest clothes that money can buy. He also had a large home. We saw in, gate, or in verse 20 that there was a gate to his home. That implies to us that it was a mansion he lived in. The rich man lived in luxury every day, which indicates to us that he was kind of flamboyant and flashy with his money. The rich man appears to be healthy. There's no mention of any sickness. 
He's like so many people today. Living his life without ever thinking of what will happen when life comes to an end. But it's ironic to me that we never learn the rich man's name. I wondered why. The only thing that I can really say with any definition is that I know that he didn't know God. So his name wasn't important. But Lazarus, on the other hand, had an extremely different life. Lazarus was poor beyond any of our understanding of poverty. Lazarus was very sick, unable to work, and he was forced to become a beggar. He was only dependent upon the goodwill of other people, or he wouldn't eat anything that day. We're told that Lazarus was so hungry that he was willing to eat the burnt, broken, and discarded crumbs of bread off that rich man's table. Yet Lazarus was blessed in one great way. You know what it was? He knew God. He knew God. And it's interesting to me that he is named. The poor beggar is named. His name is Lazarus. And do you know what the name Lazarus means? God is my helper. Incredible that the Word of God does that for us. Yes, the rich man and Lazarus lived totally different lives, but they did have one thing in common. They did have one thing in common. They both died. They both died. But death is not the end of existence, is it? It's not the end. At the point of physical death, yes, this body does cease to function, but the soul and the spirit may continue to live on. At death, the invisible inward being of who we are goes on and moves out of the body and enters into a new existence forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible compares this body of ours to a tent. Our tent gets old, and we groan as we experience suffering and pain. The longer we live, the more tattered and feeble our tent becomes. I love the story about um, retired President John Quincy Adams. When he was 80 years old, a good friend came up to him and said, Good morning. How is John Quincy Adams today? And the retired president looked at him for a moment and said, John Quincy Adams himself is quite well, sir. Quite well indeed. But the house that he lives in is becoming quite dilapidated. It's tottering upon its foundation. Time and seasons have almost destroyed it. The roof is worn out, the walls are shattered, and it crumbles with every wind. The old tenement, I think, is becoming uninhabitable, and I think that John Quincy Adams is going to have to move out soon. But he himself is quite well, sir. Quite well indeed. Not long after this chance meeting, 
John Quincy Adams suffered his second and final stroke. And he moved from his shaky tent into a home not made with hands. In today's verses, both men died. And their death changed everything. The life of Lazarus had held much suffering and much pain. But praise God, death ended that. The rich man had, uh, had a, a life of ease and a life of abundance. But guess what? Life ended that too. We're told about the beggar's death, and the Bible says he died. Nothing is said about his funeral. Nothing is said about his burial. His body was probably just carted away to the city dump and probably burned with the rest of the city's trash. But think about it. The rich man also died. And while it doesn't say so, can you imagine the funeral that man had? A solid oak casket. A stainless steel sealed vault. The choice burial plot upon the hill. And the finest funeral that money could buy. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? How many people have prepared for their own funerals? even chosen their own burial plots, perhaps even paid for their markers. But they have not prepared to die. The rich man lived without God in this life, and the Bible said that he lived without God in the next. But not only did he live without God, the Bible also says that he lost all he had in this life. In other words, he couldn't take it with him. But not only one minute after you die is all earthly prosperity or earthly suffering ended, but one minute after you die, your eternity will begin. Read with me in verse 22. So it was when the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, that's hell for you and I, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You know, there's so much confusion about death these days. But James 2.26 tells us in the Bible that death takes place when the spirit leaves the body. When the spirit leaves the body. But death is not the end. It's the beginning of a whole new existence in a whole new world. It's not the end. Now, Charles Swindle put it this way. He said, when people die, only their bodies go into the grave. At the funeral, it is merely the physical shell that's lying in the casket. The real person, the soul and the spirit of a person has already departed either to a place of torment or a place of comfort depending upon the person's spiritual condition. Did you see that when both of these men die that there's no pause in the action? When 
both of these men die, there's no break in this narrative. When both of these die, there's no lapse of time. In fact, it seems like to me that the moment these guys die, they are instantaneously experiencing their eternal position. Instantly. Verse 22 reads, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. As both of these guys passed through the portals of death, so to speak, an amazing reversal happens. Jesus tells us, as soon as Lazarus died, angels came and took him to Abraham's bosom, which is just another way of saying he went to heaven. And it seems clear that there's no waiting period. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting period for him to enter eternity. And I believe that this reinforces very well what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, where Paul wrote, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk in faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Lazarus was the man who had a relationship with God. And when he died, he was instantly escorted by the angels into the presence of God. There was no waiting period for Lazarus to enter eternity. Death was not the end, and he carried on a brand new life in the comfort of heaven. But the rich man also died. But no angels came and carried him into God's presence. Instead, a split second after he died, he woke up in a terrifying place called hell. Not only one minute after you die will all earthly suffering or earthly prosperity end. Not only one minute after you die will your eternity begin, but one minute after you die, your eternity will be set forever. Verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Friend, can you feel this man's pain? Crying? Begging for a drop of water? But Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted. And you're tormented. And besides all this, between us, you, between us and you, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you, they can't. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he might testify to them, that he might tell them so that they don't come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know what he said? He said, they got the Bible, don't they? Let them hear the word of God. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes back to them from the dead, then they'll repent. Then they'll turn away from their sins if, if someone comes up from the dead. But he said, if they don't hear the Bible, if they don't hear the word of God, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. Wow. Your eternity will be set forever. The story tells us that there are two destinations for the soul at death. One is a place of comfort. The other, a place of torment. Verse 25. But now he, Lazarus, is comforted, and you, rich man, are tormented. It's only one of the two. A place of comfort or a place of torment. Now, I'm not going to get into these two destinations today, but I'm going to deal with both of those in detail in the next two messages. This morning, I simply want you to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you will wake after you die in an eternity somewhere. Once our lives are over here, there will be no opportunity to change there. In verse 26, the rich man is told, and besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So what's going to happen to you when you die. Do you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? It's certain you're going to spend eternity somewhere. So whatever you do, don't be content with I think so. Don't be content with, I hope so. It's too big a decision for that kind of response. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know. Say no. Say it louder. That you may know that you have eternal life. Bible says you can know. You can know for certain that you have eternal life in heaven. So right now, in this place, you can turn from your sins, place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and today you can be saved. That somewhere that you're going to spend eternity, you can be convinced, you can know that it's heaven. With the Father. You can leave this building today knowing for sure that you have a place in heaven and that one minute after you die, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord and not in a terrible place called hell. But God does give you the choice. If you know for certain, I'm thrilled. If you don't know for certain, I'm scared for you. I wish 
I could make the decision for you because I would. I love all of you that much. I would. But God doesn't leave that decision up to me or your parents or your spouse or your mom. He leaves it up to you. Do you know? Do you know? Father in heaven, I know that it's your desire that no one perish, but that all come to repentance. Receiving your Son, Jesus Christ, by faith and knowing that their eternal place is in heaven with you. Father, if there's one here who has to answer that question with, I think so, or I hope so, Lord, let them know today that they can make that decision and they can walk out of this building knowing that they're saved. Father, we love you. We praise you for even wanting to save us. And Father, we just ask you now to speak to whomever it might be. Lord, that they would nail it down and, and know for sure that their eternal dwelling place is with you. Eternity is a long time, Lord. It's forever and ever and ever. Help us to make the right choice today. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, Amen.